this, this morning. We've been talking about in our short series, three-week series here from the book of Jude about guardrails. The reason why calling that series, the series, that title is because what you see in this book is Jude trying to establish the faith with these Christians so that they will not go off the the lines that God has given. And you see that even verified in, in verse 21, talking about them keeping themselves in the love of God. He doesn't want them to move off of what God had revealed to them. And, and last week we spent our time talking about the first instruction of struggling for the faith or contending for the faith because there were people who had crept in among them and they were distorting the faith to such a degree that they were following after their own desires. They're following after their own fleshly passions, their sensuality. And ultimately, as verse four says, denying our only master and Lord Jesus. If we follow our desires and do what we want, we are ultimately denying Christ as Lord and sovereign and king. We are making ourselves king and Lord, and we are following after our own desires. And what Jude is now going to do in this next section from verse 5 through verse 16 is talk to us about why we can be assured that there is condemnation for leaving the lines that God has prescribed and following after our own desires. And he uses just a, a myriad of examples and teachings. It's a section that, as you heard Walter read it, it's just a flurry of names and a flurry of examples, just rapid fire. He doesn't express the details of what happened with all those people. He just presumes you know the problem and why they're held up as an example. And so we'll talk about them as we go through this paragraph. You'll notice that verse 5 of Jude, he says there, I want to remind you that although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed uh, afterward destroyed those who did not believe you have this section of three examples and the first one he says i want to remind you that you have the people of israel and i love that jude says saved by jesus now some of your translations will say the lord and that's because there's probably about half the manuscripts say Lord and half the manuscripts say Jesus. And so half our translations say Lord and half of our translations say Jesus. And that works out in the wash either way because Jesus is Lord. But you can imagine why you might have a shift on that. Because if you think about if, if a scribe came along and read Jesus led the people out of Egypt, they'd go, well, I don't know that that's the right word. We might want to change that. <laughs> so I think that's probably what it's getting at. But that's the same thing that the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you might remember, in talking about the spiritual rock that was Christ and how he is with them in the wilderness. And yet they fell in the wilderness, even though they had this spiritual rock. Well, that's the same message here that you'll notice is said in verse 5, that here are the people who were saved out of Egypt. But even though they were saved out of Egypt, they were ultimately destroyed because they did not believe. And so that's the first example that that's put forward is you're going to see that Jude is talking about them trying to go outside of the lines that God had laid out. 
God was leading them and they'd experienced salvation from Egypt. And yet even still, that first generation fell. And that's one of the things that I think is always striking to think about. We even consider that when we read the scriptures and we read about the Exodus, these are the people who saw the plagues. These are the people who walked through the Red Sea. These are the people who came to Mount Sinai and saw it shaking and smoking. These are the people who heard the voice of God so that it caused them to tremble. These are the people who had water and food, manna and the wilderness. And they had all of this. And yet, even though they experienced the blessings of God and the salvation of God, they still fell in the end. And Jude's reminding them of that and saying... Warning, be careful that you can experience all those things and still not endure. And that's his first example. The second example is in verse 6. Angels who did not stay within their own proper or own position of authority but left their proper dwelling. He has kept in eternal chains until gloomy darkness, until the judgment of the great day. You'll notice a similar picture Angels not keeping their proper place, their position of authority, not staying in God's designated lane. They went outside of that. And because of that, they are now held for eternal judgment, held in these gloomy chains of darkness. Judgment is coming upon them because they did not keep their proper place. Verse 7, he uses Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities. Likewise, they indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires. And they serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. And so now he pulls out Sodom and Gomorrah and he observes they didn't stay within God's proper boundaries of what they were supposed to do and what God had designated as proper commands and authority and law, but instead violated those things. And so they also were an example uh, of eternal judgment. And one of the things that I think is interesting is that, that you have Jude using these examples. You could arguably say the whole story of scriptures are humans going outside the lines of God's authority and are worthy of judgment. That's kind of the whole story of us and why we need a savior. That's the whole whole deal. And it's interesting that Jude picks on these because I think in these examples, you have really a commonality of what afflicts human nature all the time is that, okay, but we've enjoyed the blessings of God. So we put it in cruise control And do not endure in the faith and continue to believe and continue to press on to the goal. We go outside the bounds of what God has said. And when we talk about going outside the boundaries of what God has said, where does that typically end up? But sexual immorality. I think that's just every culture, every group of people for all of history. This is the one that afflicts everybody. And I think that's why he chooses it. Why he goes to Sodom and Gomorrah and says sexual immorality, fornication, adultery. He uses homosexuality, pursuing unnatural desires. This is civilization after civilization, culture after culture, people after people who think that we can go outside of God's boundaries, follow our own ways, and it's all going to be fine. And so he uses three examples and says that here's three examples that shows we can't establish our own authority. We can't go our own way. We can't draw our own lines. We can't change what God has given to us. We can't go outside of the faith that that God has has given to us. And notice that's how he depicts this in verse 8. 
Likewise, these people also. Notice these first, these, from verse 5 to verse 7, these three examples are setting up where these people are at as well. They're doing the exact same thing. Verse 8. Likewise, in the same manner, these people relying on their dreams defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme glorious ones. I, I love the image that's given there. These people also following things that are in their head. <laughs> they follow their dreams and imaginations. They follow what, what comes to them. So that's really the, the essence of the idea. And that I think focuses to every civilization and every culture. Is we have this great temptation to follow our own wants, our own wishes, our own logic, our own ways, our own thinks, our own feelings, our own heart. We're just going to follow what's in our head and we're going to call that authority. That's what our culture is right now. If I think it's so, it's my truth. And therefore I will follow it. And whatever I want to do, that's my truth and I will follow it. I want you to notice that's what they're doing. Nothing's changed in 2,000 years. There's, there's no, no grand newness here. They're doing the same thing. They say, you know, in likewise example, they follow their own dreams. They follow what comes to their own mind. They follow their imaginations. They defile their flesh and defile authorities and blaspheme against them and say, they're the ultimate judge and I'm the one in charge. They're doing the exact same thing. Nothing has changed in these pictures that are given to us. They reject authority, blaspheme the glorious ones. And I love the idea that you see in verse 9 that these people are considered so insolent by God to reject authority, reject what anybody else says, just follow your own mind, your own ways, that you read there in verse 9. You know, even Michael the archangel would not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment against the devil. I think that's fascinating. <laughs> Here's this idea of, care and caution about things you say. <laughs> Do you think it would have been fair for Michael the Archangel to utter a judgment against the devil? Yeah, sure. Yeah, he's, he's a bad guy, right? <laughs> and he goes, he realized even Michael the Archangel doesn't have the gall and the stubbornness to speak with that kind of arrogance, like sometimes human beings do. To be able just to reject everything out of hand, blaspheme what you don't understand, blaspheme glorious ones, blaspheme authority, reject authority. This is the picture that's being, being given to us right here. It really is ultimately summed up in the words of verse 10. These people blaspheme all that they do not understand. And I want to rest on that one for a minute because, friends, I believe that is exactly where our culture is today. If it doesn't make sense to me, then it's not true. If I don't understand it, like it, or agree with it, it's not true. And notice that's what he's saying right here. They blaspheme all that they do not understand. And I hope that we would think about the ridiculous nature of rejecting and blaspheming anything that we do not understand, even though that's the air we breathe right now. Friends, I don't understand calculus. 
I was really bad at it. And after, I'll be fair, after algebra, it all went downhill in math, actually. That geometry wasn't good. Algebra 2 got worse and calculus was a horror show. Just because I don't understand it doesn't mean it's not true. Just because it doesn't make any sense to me does not make it invalid. Just because it doesn't click in my head and you can explain limits to me all day long and I still don't get what's going on with that doesn't mean that's not true. But we have in our culture a time, well, well, if I don't understand it, it's not real. If I don't get it, that's not true. That's not right. There are so many things I don't understand. I do not understand electricity. I do not get how flipping that light switch does anything. That does not make any sense to me in the slides. It's amazing. I have lights that don't work. I don't even know how to fix it because I don't even know how it works. I don't get it. Light switch doesn't work on the right light switch. I don't know what to do about it. It's just like magic to me. Does that make it not true? This is the point that he's getting at in verse 10. They blaspheme all that they don't understand. And friends, we understand that when it comes to a level of our world, but then we come to God and we say, well, since it doesn't make sense to me, that law, that rule, that command, his ways, then I'm not going to follow it because that doesn't make sense to me. That's not how truth works. Just because you don't understand it does not alleviate that it's true. I may not understand physics, but it is true if I stand before a car that is going 60 miles an hour, I'm not going to make it. I don't have to understand the physics of it. It's just true. And that is the way it is with God's word. Our understanding does not define truth with God. And that's what Jude's talking about. These people are so arrogant, so stubborn. They follow their dreams, their imaginations. They reject authority. They do what they think is right within themselves. And if they don't understand it, they don't believe it. They don't follow it. They don't accept it. And I think that's such an important thing to think about how ridiculous it is to live that way. Not only in our world, but ultimately before God. What sense did it make for Abraham to offer his only son Isaac on the altar? Explain to me the logic behind all that. Tell me how that makes good sense. Tell me how that makes moral sense. Tell me how that makes rational sense. Tell me all of the logic that you can apply to that command. I think it's incomprehensible. It's a command that you would go, I didn't hear that right. You want me to do what? Let me check in again. That can't be right. Who would not double check that and go, that can't be right. You're telling me to take the promised child that you told me through whom all the nations of the earth were going to be blessed and take him on a journey and go to a mountain and offer him there on an altar. That can't be right. And God said, yeah, it is. Friends, our mission is not to believe and obey only after we understand it. We have this tendency with God. Until I get the logic and the reason and the basis, I'm just not going to follow. And God's going, that's not what faith's about. It's not what I'm calling you to. 
I'm calling you to believe and obey even if you don't understand it. That's why these people are people of faith. They're doing the thing that you go, wow, that on a human level doesn't make sense. But the thing that made sense to them is that they believed in God. And that's what they went with. I mean, that's what's amazing. Later on, you're told, oh, by the way, Abraham just figured Isaac would be raised from the dead. Wow. <laughs> that's amazing. And a whole other level of faith going on right there and how he was reconciling all of that. It is not our mission to come to God and say, I will only obey if I understand it. One of the things that's fascinating is God did not reveal his laws, reveal his word, reveal his ways and say, here it is. Now take a vote on if you understand it. And if you do, go ahead and obey. But if you don't get it, it's okay. Set it over there. Or to put it another way, he didn't ask for our opinion. He didn't ask for our opinion about it. But that's what he's observing with these people is this stubbornness and arrogance about them that rejects authority. They only follow what they understand. And what they understand is only what's within themselves, what comes from their own mind, from their own dreams, from their own desires. And I want you to notice how he pictures them in verse 10 after saying that, at the end of verse 10. They are like unreasoning animals understand instinctively. Probably don't think about it like this. But here's what God is telling us. If we reject slander and blaspheme, everything we don't understand, and only follow what's in our mind and in our feelings... We have lowered ourselves to act like unreasoning animals who only operate on instinct. We're lowering ourselves. That's what he's getting at. How do animals operate? In the moment. What they think, what they feel in the moment. He says that's what we're doing. Is when we are rejecting what God says and just operating by feelings in the moment, my truth, my ways, what comes to my mind, we're lowering ourselves. We are making ourselves like animals. And notice what he says there in verse 10. We're destroying ourselves. If we live our lives making decisions and believing things only based on what we understand We are destroying ourselves. And can I say that's one reason why you see our society as it is. Is as we move more and more to acting like instinctual animals who only trust what is within ourselves and nothing outside of ourselves and believe nothing unless we understand it or agree with it, we will ultimately destroy ourselves and destroy one another. And that's how he explains what they're ultimately doing. And notice the examples of this truth that he uses. Verse 11. They've walked in the way of Cain. All right. Well, what did Cain do? Went outside what God prescribed. Not a lot of details there when you go to Genesis. But the account basically gives you Abel did what was he was told to do and Cain did not. Pretty much simple as that. 
He didn't follow what God prescribed. He decided he would follow his think-sos, and that didn't work out for him. Notice the next example there in verse 11. He uses Balaam's error. What did he do? Remember, Balaam was this prophet essentially for hire of Balak of Moab, and he really wanted to offer prophecies against the people of God for the hire, the money that he was being given. What did Balaam do? Go outside of what God told him to do. He just willfully chose, no, I'm going to go prophesy anyway. I'm going to go do that because I want to make the money rather than obeying what God had told him to do. You notice the end of verse 11, Korah. Well, what did Korah do wrong? Same thing. Went outside the lines of God's authority. Denied that Moses' leadership was designated by God, was going to set himself up and go, you know, hey, we've got authority too around here. We're important people. Same idea. These are repetitions of this, this picture of going outside of what God has prescribed. Example after example are groups of people who went outside of what God declared and were judged. He starts with Israel. They went outside of what God said, though they experienced the blessings of God and the salvation of God, and they fell in the wilderness. Angels went out of what side God had prescribed for them to do. They are now held in eternal darkness until the day of judgment. He goes further and says Sodom and Gomorrah. They went outside the lines of what God said, particularly of sexual immorality, and so they are now judged, and they are an example of eternal fire. They are like who also went outside the authority of God and went outside the lines of what he prescribed to do as a sacrifice and he was judged. Balaam went outside the prescription of what God said to do in terms of speaking the word of God. He's judged. Korah went outside the authority of God, claimed that he had authority as well. He was judged. All of this over and over again is just rubbing this idea. You can't go outside the lines of what God has said. He's just just a flurry of examples. Let me tell you how many different ways people have tried and all of them have ended up in their destruction and ultimate judgment. And so you'll notice that he now applies it to these people in verse 12. He says, these people are like hidden reefs at your love feast. And you say, what's the big deal with a hidden reef? Well, that's how you wreck your boat. That's how you cause shipwreck. They look like they're one of you among you as you're worshiping and participating in the Lord's Supper and enjoying the the fellowship of God's people together. They look like one of us, but they actually cause destruction. They're like a hidden reef. Same with the next image there. Verse 12, shepherds feeding themselves. They look like they're leaders. look like they're spiritually healthy are selfish. They're only acting for their own good. I love these other images, waterless clouds. <laughs> if we finally got our rain. Like last month, how many waterless clouds do we did we have? It's like cloud comes in, it gets all dark, you hear the boom boom, and then I walk up and nothing is right on by. You know, like, what, what's the idea of a waterless cloud? It's a fake. If you think it's going to give you something, but it's not going to give it to you. It's useless. That's the whole image. All of these images are showing useless, destructive, fruitless fakes is what they are. They come in among you, 
They act like they're all of God, but because they're about going their own way and following their own path and not staying in God's lines, they're destructive, they're useless, they're fruitless, they're they're going to harm you, and they are ultimately fake before God. And thus you have that image that's, that's given there in verse 12, fruitless trees, twice dead, uprooted, verse 13, wild waves of the sea casting up foam to their own shape. I love that image right there. You ever been there at the beach and watched all that foam up like that? It makes a whole lot of noise and looks like a whole lot of, but it's a whole lot of nothing. (laughs) It just stays right there. Fruitless, useless, they make a lot of noise, they rattle the chain a lot, they cause a lot of problems, they're destructive, but ultimately they're not of God. They're not carrying it out. They're not accomplishing it. In fact, the rest of the paragraph is just to show ultimately that they are worthy of judgment. Verse 14, it was also about these that Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied. You imagine we're going all the way back to early Genesis and says, you know, Enoch talked about this problem. Here's what he said. Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Did you catch a repetition? I'll read it again. Catch the catch the repeat. <laughs> to, verse 15, to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Are they ungodly? <laughs> in one sentence, in one breath, ungodly, 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 ungodly. They are ungodly and that is what God has said from the very beginning. Ungodliness is going to be judged. Now here's the problem. We don't want to say it's ungodly to follow our heart and follow our mind and follow our dreams and follow our passions and follow what we think is right. That's not ungodliness, right? And Jude says, actually, it is. Actually, it is. We have not been called to follow our ways, but God's ways. We have been called to follow our word, but God's words. We have been called to listen to our mind, but God's mind. And when we choose to do, as was described back in verse 4, about following our senses, the sensuality, following our own ways and our own desires, that puts us in this category of being ungodly. And you'll notice the characteristics, or maybe you could use the word fruit, there in verse 16. These are grumblers and malcontents, or fault finders. Not in the notes, but... I always find it fascinating how often God likes to point out very early in lists, complainers and grumblers as the ungodly. We would put complainers, if we were to write a list, probably near the bottom, right? You know, there's all these really big, bad sins and then, yeah, okay, complaining. First word, grumblers malcontents, fault finders, following their own sinful desires. Verse 16, they are loud mouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. They are selfish, selfish, 
selfish, but they're hidden in among you as if they're the people of God. They're ungodly, but they're grumblers. They're ungodly, but they're malcontents. They're ungodly, but they're, they're, they pretend to be godly, but they pretend to follow God, and yet they're following sinful desires. So what's the big picture that I think Jude is getting at? Why bring in all of these illustrations and examples? I want to talk about two, two big ideas from this with the time that we ultimately have, have left. Number one, following our desires and our way of thinking does not draw us toward God. It moves us further away from God. When we follow our desires, our logic, our instinct, our feelings, that's to go outside of God's lines. You're going off the guardrail. And what Jude is saying is that has been God's word from the very beginning of what receives judgment is choosing to go outside the lines. And I think that's what's hard for us in thinking about these ideas is that that means we're going to have to believe and obey things that we do not understand or do not like. And there are many things that we do not understand and do not like. But that's okay. Because what we are being told is that we have to follow the lines that God has given to us or else we will experience judgment. The people of Israel, saved from Egypt, perish in the wilderness. Angels, follow their own course, eternal chains. Sodom and Gomorrah, follow their desires, they're destroyed. Cain, Balaam, Korah. The repetition is to convince us that if we follow our logic, follow our feelings, follow our desires, follow our wishes, follow our wants, that puts us in the category of being ungodly. Godly people do not follow their wishes, feelings, logic, and instinct. They follow God. And so that's why Jude is underlining this right here. You can't go your own way and call yourself a follower of God. And that means that ultimately in talking about, he's called them back in verse three to contend for the faith that was once delivered for the saints. He is telling them that means you're going to set aside those desires and feelings and think about doing what God says to do. And I believe for us in this culture, this is one of our great challenges. Because our culture constantly is telling us, you only need to do what you agree with, what feels good or seems good to you. That's why everything goes on the way that it does. They just didn't agree with the rule in the moment, right? That doesn't apply to me. This is my favorite right now. My wife teaching middle school kids now. The whole problem is all of these middle schoolers 
It's all about applying the rules as it, as they think it applies to them rather than everybody else. Yeah, that's true for everybody else, but not for me. That's our culture right now. That's right. Everybody else needs to follow the rules, but not me. That wasn't written for me. It doesn't apply to me. I don't agree with that rule. I don't like that rule. I didn't vote for that rule. I don't care about that rule. We go through the whole thing. It's the whole problem. Contending for the faith means we have to set aside our desires, our feelings, our think-sos to do the will of God. Just because we do not understand why God told us to do something does not mean we do not do it. And I just highlight that over and over and over again. It probably just needs to be a banner on the street right now. Just because we don't understand why God said to do it doesn't mean that we have the authority to not do it. What I want you to do is there's no way for me to go into your heart and your mind and think about the 100 million ways that we can potentially do this with God. You're going to have to take the honest assessment test. Is there something that we are choosing to reject that God says we're supposed to be doing or avoiding? Is there something that we are saying, well, I just don't like it, so that's why I don't do it. I don't agree with it. That's why I don't do it. Is there something within us that that we do that? I'll just speak more generically, culturally, macro level, because that's all I can do, because I don't know where you are. But we do this with all kinds of things. Let's talk about marriage. Marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman before God that is to last as long as we live. But we don't understand that or don't like it. So we come along and go, well, what if I'm unhappy? What if the other person changes? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And we make all these changes rather than it being, as God said, one man, one woman for life. But we want to come along and, well, that's not where it doesn't work for me. God didn't ask if it worked for us. That's what God said it is. And so often what we do is we come to the word of God and we say, well, I don't like it, so I'm going to not follow it or I'm going to change it. What about the commands of salvation? Well, why do I have to repent? (laughs) Why can't I just claim God and keep doing what I'm doing? That's not going to work because God said you've got to deny your old self and take up your cross and follow him. What if I don't want to confess Jesus to the world? I don't want to tell people I'm a follower. Well, you don't get that choice. You're told that you're supposed to do that. You're supposed to own his name and confess him as Lord. It's hard to understand. But one of the things we mentioned last week that we need to underscore again These words were given to us by God, and they mean something. And it's not up for us to just decide how we want it to work. They mean something for us. Too often we change what God said because we don't like it or we don't understand it. Can I do some other quick ones as well? Why not? God said have self-control. I don't want to do that. (laughs) God tells us self-control. Control your anger. Control your bodies. Control your emotions. Control your thoughts. 
I'm asking us to not rip off the guardrails of our lives to end up in spiritual destruction. These things are given to us so that we would believe them and obey them. Jesus ultimately told us these words. He said, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So let me, let me backward engineer that sentence. How is your life going to ultimately have freedom? How are you going to have the life that God wants you to have and that freedom and satisfaction and joy that you are seeking? Abide in the guardrails. Stay in the lane that God has revealed. That's the road to eternal life. That's the path that we need to follow. If we're going to be not only content for the faith, but secure ourselves before God and enjoy eternal life with him. Friends, I want to end by just thinking about I, this. This flashes on the screen every single Sunday. It flashes there every single Sunday for a reason, because even in our culture today, these are things that are clearly said in the scriptures that get argued about in the religious world. I find baptism to be one of the most illogical things in the world. If baptism's left to my logic, it doesn't make any sense. Why, why, why water for three seconds? That doesn't make any sense, right? And so what do we do? Well, we don't need to do that because it doesn't make sense. Even though it's all over the book of Acts, it just, because it doesn't make sense, we won't do it. It's hard to understand why we think we can come before God and take direct commands that tell us to do things and say, well, I just don't want to do that. That's not contending for the faith. And that's not staying in the lanes. And that's not keeping to the guardrails that God has given to us. Back to that question that was up there. What are we doing that we are looking at God's laws and saying, well, I don't like it, I don't understand it, so I don't want to do it. And I hope you'll think about where you are with God and choose today, whatever that is, to set that thinking aside and do what God has asked you to do. Do what God has asked you to do as a servant of God and following him with all of your heart. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, please forgive us for how often we challenge your authority and go outside the lines of what you've given us. Forgive us, Lord, for how often we reject what you've commanded us to do because we do not like it. Forgive us, Lord, for how often we do not do what you say because we decide that we do not understand it. And Lord, I pray that you would give us a faith like Abraham. Give us the faith that obeys no matter what you ask us to do. Give us a faith to follow you no matter how hard it may be. Give us a faith to follow no matter how illogical it may be and how countercultural it may be. And Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us in our resolve to stay within the lines that you have given to us. Give us a heart to seek your word and to obey it. Give us a heart to believe what you say. And Lord, we want to 
be a people that do not fail on our way to the promised land. Lord, we look forward to being with you and we long for eternity with you. And we pray that you'd forgive us of our rebellion and forgive us of our sins that we have repeatedly made against you to make us right with you again. And Lord, to bring us safely home. We want to be with you. We want to be kept in your love. And we want to enjoy eternity that lies ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we sing this invitation song to you. Can we help you stay in the lines to get back on the path, to get back on the journey that God has given for you to do? Can you turn away from your sins today, choosing to say no to self and to follow him with all of your heart? That's what Jude's talking about, is not listening to your own wants, wishes, and desires, but now listening to God's wants, wishes, and desires. Follow him with all of your heart faithfully. Confess him to be the son of God who died for your sins. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. These are your start points in your journey to walk with God faithfully the rest of your days. But it doesn't stop there. I asked you to take inventories or something else that we're holding on to. Other sins that we are keeping in our hands. Because that's what we want to do rather than obey what God says. Let go of those today. Repent of those things today. Can we help you do that? Won't you come while we stand and while we sing?